Let me tell you about Ali Abbas. You see, he's not your average young Arab investor. He doubled his money thanks to the world of cryptocurrencies. It started with him investing about $5,000 in Bitcoin, Ripple, and Ethereum. A month later, it was a hit. He made $11,500. Well, now you know why many in the Middle East are dreaming of hitting their own crypto jackpot. Hello, guys. I'm Sami Zaydan, and you're listening to the Essential Middle East Podcast. Today, I want to explain stories like that of Ali Abbas and get into what's happening in a world which is so exciting and yet so murky to many. Cryptocurrencies are defying a lot of norms. Its value climbed last year to $2.3 trillion, yet it remains unpredictable. In the Middle East, well, it's kind of a different story. So to understand the trends, the potential, and the skepticism surrounding cryptocurrency, it's time to bring in our guest into the show, Glenn Goodman. He's a cryptocurrency expert and author of The Crypto Trader. Welcome to the show, Glenn. I've never been a math person, but we can't talk about cryptocurrencies without talking numbers. So how invested is the Middle East in cryptocurrencies? Put a number on it for us, will you? Well, thanks for inviting me on, Sammy. The number I'm going to give you is $272 billion. That's the number for the amount of cryptocurrency value that was received by the Middle East between the middle of 2020 and the middle of 2021. All right. That's about the best number that you're going to get in terms of trying to work out where the Middle East stands in the world. How does it compare to other regions, other parts of the world? Yeah, well, it's the 7% of the global total, basically. So... So that's pretty low, yeah? It's pretty low. But, you know, it's still a big number, isn't it? $272 billion was received in it Bitcoin is. and other cryptos in just one year. But about half of that was Turkey, which is, you know, arguably not 100% part of the Middle East wow. anyway. I mean, would you say Turkey's part of the Middle East? I mean, it's classified for economic reasons usually as part of the Middle East, isn't it? But that number's low, and I've been looking up some other stats. AAA are talking about under 2%, under 3% for most Arab countries. What's holding back popularity? I think it's more a question of what's driving the new popularity. And I'm not saying that because I'm some kind of crypto booster who wants to like put a positive gloss on it. But the fact is that even though that total was quite low, it's actually a 1,500% increase over the previous year. 1,500%. Well, that's because it's so low to start off with, yes, isn't it, yes, Glenn? It I was. mean, if you compare percentage of population in other countries, India, Russia, the percentage of population is much bigger than just 2% or 3% yes. that's invested in cryptocurrencies, right? That's very true. But, you know, 1,500% means it's one of the fastest growing markets in the world. So the Middle East are late adopters, mm. uh, relatively speaking. I mean, obviously, the, the whole area is quite new. My personal view, I mean, you know, I've read a lot of different opinions on this. Everybody has their own view on why it started so late. Personally, I think it's Bitcoin and crypto are all about narrative, 
right? They're all about people starting to believe in Bitcoin and crypto as the future of the world's money. Now, that took off more quickly in Europe and America, I believe, because everybody was jaded after the great financial crash in 2008, Mm. 2009, and the big bank bailouts that we had in Europe and America. The Middle East obviously was affected by all that turmoil, but it didn't have this kind of undercurrent of huge numbers, millions of young people feeling completely disenchanted with the dollar system. So what about the governments who are trying to ban it in some parts of the Middle East? Yeah, that doesn't help. Is that playing a role? That plays a role. It does play a role, certainly. But I can't blame it entirely on that because so many other Mm. parts of the world have also tried to abolish cryptocurrencies or ban them or stop them being used Mm. in various ways. And yet uh, some of those territories have still absolutely flourished in terms of crypto use. I mean, you know, look at Turkey, for heaven's sake, the huge amount of cryptocurrency that is traded in Turkey. And whilst it's not uh, outright banned in Turkey, it's not exactly encouraged either. And yet, you know, people just kind of overlook that. Turkey is classified as a country which has what we call an implicit ban. So even though there's no explicit ban of cryptocurrency, there are various measures in place that make it quite difficult. And actually, that's the case for large parts of the Middle East, including Saudi Arabia, for example. These implicit bans that just make it more difficult. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Glenn. Saudi Arabia is supposed to be one of the countries in the Middle East that is trying to become a hub. They just had a big conference there. Mm. Isn't Saudi Arabia and UAE some of the more avant-garde countries who are trying to become crypto hubs, we're told? Well, you say that, but as last I heard, in Saudi Arabia, financial institutions were banned from dealing in cryptocurrencies. Even the US are exactly like this. On one hand, they're going, we really want to encourage the new crypto sector. And on the other hand, their regulators are constantly sounding warnings and saying, oh, we're going to clamp down in a big way and that kind of thing. So there's a bit of good cop, bad cop going on, I think. For those countries in the region which are trying to adopt it, what are they doing? There's, There's talk about, you know having maybe area zones where regulation is kind of regulation light? Yes. I think the UAE is one of the best hopes at the moment for cryptocurrency. Even though, actually, in this same official report, which is actually got from the US government, where they've uh, attempted to sort of classify how hospitable different countries are for cryptocurrency... The United Arab Emirates has also got a sort of implicit ban in some ways. Uh, Central banks don't recognise cryptocurrencies as a form of payment, but they are working on new regulations for retail payment services that introduce the concept of tokens used for payment purposes. So again, you've got some blowing hot and cold. So how do you explain that? Is this a a transition transition going on? This is a, you know... Mm. Cryptocurrencies have only existed for a little over the, a decade. And frankly, everybody's just confused by them all the time, aren't they? And that goes for so governments. So where, where are we heading? Where are, well, we, are heading? we eventually going to see a Middle East that completely adopts cryptocurrency? You know what? They're going to do what everybody else does. If they feel they're being left behind, the Middle Eastern governments I'm talking about, if they feel they're being left behind, then mm. they will jump on board. If they feel that it's more of a danger than of any benefit, then they will lean, as most of them are at the moment, towards heavy regulation and discouragement. But also bear in mind that most of these governments are turning a blind eye to the fact that huge numbers of their populations are now investing 
investing in cryptocurrencies. And as I said, in Turkey, I mean, it's insane. It's like a quarter of the population invests in cryptocurrencies. And yet the official government line is, oh, yeah, we don't like this kind of thing. So it's amazing. <laughs> Let's get specifics. Who's adopting cryptocurrencies in these countries? Give us some demographics. Break it down for us. Okay, well, here's a very interesting one. Have you heard of decentralized finance or DeFi? It's sort of the cutting edge of uh, cryptocurrency trading, where people trade on exchanges that are owned by no one. They're decentralized. It's like peer-to-peer lending. And there are big questions over the Islamic compliance of uh, these exchanges, for example, but that doesn't seem to have stopped Lebanon. Some scholars are saying it's haram, don't get involved in it. I think the Mufti of Egypt said that. Yes, that's right. I mean, the ban in Egypt is about as strong a ban as you can get, or at least officially it is, but obviously, again, large numbers of Egyptian people are actually still trading in cryptocurrency. And I was going to mention, as I say, Lebanon is absolutely fascinating, rather, because it's got 95%... DeFi adoption. In other words, 95% of all the crypto trading that goes on in Lebanon is using these cutting-edge debt-based instruments, decentralized finance. Whereas in Iraq, only 16% is. So there are very strong local trends. And let's face it, a lot of it has got to do with word of mouth. You know, it's not that suddenly everybody in Lebanon is suddenly an expert in decentralized finance because they've all learned it at school. No, they've heard from their friend, oh, you this exchange, use that exchange. You know, so they're getting into some of the more hardcore uh, niche parts of cryptocurrency because the word has spread about those parts. Whereas in Iraq, that simply hasn't happened and people are using more traditional centralized exchanges. But one way or the other, if you want to get into specifics about which countries are hottest on cryptocurrency, which I suspect is what you were driving at, then uh, apart from Turkey, which, as I said, is way ahead of everybody else, and that's because of its problems with inflation and uh, the decline of the Turkish lira against the dollar, you know, people trying to find somewhere where their money doesn't depreciate rapidly, and keeping it in the domestic currency was just not doing it for many Turkish people. They needed something else to to try and keep their money, as they saw it, safe. But of course, Bitcoin is highly volatile, so it's not exactly safe, but at least it's been going up over the years, you know, in the long term. People think it's safer than some of their own economies, right? Exactly. And Lebanon is number two after Turkey. Lebanon has got uh, a huge number of people transacting. And if you want a figure, I can give you a figure of $25 billion of cryptocurrency was received by Lebanese people in that same time period, middle of 2020 to middle of 2021. So that's over the course of a year, $25 billion just for Lebanon, which is higher than the UAE. That's not a small figure. Am I seeing a trend here or am I hallucinating? Is it people in countries with very stressed economic situations who are saying, let me find somewhere else to put my money or move my money? Yes, that's exactly what's happening. Narratives are very important and that cryptocurrency had taken off in the West before other parts of the world because all the young people still are traumatised by all the banks being bailed out in the great financial crash. They lost faith in domestic currencies and were looking for something new. Everybody wanted to believe in something new that could bypass the entire global banking system. And so Westerners latched onto Bitcoin. But as I say, the Middle East didn't have that same justification in the same 
same way. And so it's only recently that new reasons, new narratives have come along for Turkish people, for Lebanese people, thinking to themselves, you know, we've got this very specific problem in our country and Bitcoin and crypto may be the answer to Might it. be the solution. Are we talking young people, old people, or what kind of gender distribution? We are looking at age 34 and younger as being the predominant age Very group. Very young. Yes, definitely. I mean, it's kind of what you'd expect to a degree, because particularly when it comes to DeFi in Lebanon, we're talking about, as I say, cutting-edge financial instruments that are not easy to use. Believe me, right. I mean, I use this stuff sometimes, and I'm a bit of a techie, but, you know, <laughs> it ain't easy, even for some somebody who knows mm. about technology, let alone for a beginner. So yeah, these are, you know, the people who've been taking in that $25 billion in Lebanon, a lot of them are now very tech savvy. And that means on average, they're younger. Some of the countries which are seeing an explosion, I was reading up is countries like Egypt. Mm. There's various figures depending on who you read. Is that representative for the whole region? And are we talking about a market that's going to continue to grow? I think it is. I think it's representative of the region and I think it's going to continue to grow. And the reason is if you have 1,500% growth in one year across the region, you know, that's such enormous growth that it ain't just going to peter out. There has been some petering out already because, quite frankly, the prices of cryptocurrencies have been falling. Is that going to change when we're told sovereign wealth funds will soon, within 12 months... There's a lot of rumours about sovereign wealth funds getting involved and there are various kind of ties. It. Well, there are various documented ties between crypto firms and various Middle Eastern governments now. They are sometimes being welcomed into certain countries. Bahrain, for example, is often mentioned in these conversations. In terms of sovereign wealth funds actually investing their own money, well, there is already precedent for investing in whizzy, techie things, isn't there? Things like Tesla and uh, Uber and these kind of things. Lots of Middle Eastern sovereign wealth funds have been investing in So it's those not inconceivable. Kind of it's not inconceivable, and I think it will it happen happens. eventually. But if you think of it, they're kind of like pension funds, the conservative pension funds that we see uh, or that I see in the West, who have been very, very slow to get on the crypto bandwagon as well because they have to appear responsible and conservative and all the rest of it. So if they do, it's will it be a huge game changer? Well, they've got a lot of money, haven't they? <laughs> they have. That's why everybody's, you know, I guess, talking about them. Exactly. And it's the same for the Western pension funds. The, the Western pension funds and mm. the sovereign wealth funds, those could be the big game changers, and they could well be eventually. But let's face it, it all depends largely on what happens to the price of crypto over the next year or so. Because, you know, many people have forgotten it now. And then when the price started rising in sort of uh, 2020, and particularly in late 2020, when it really took off, people started coming back again. Nothing like money to get people's attention, Glenn. Nothing like <laughs> money. So famous brands are accepting cryptocurrency, but when are we going to see that in the Middle East? 
I guess the thing is, look, the Western brands are obviously very prominent in leading centers of the Middle East, like Dubai, you know, the big kind of luxury brands. And a lot of them are getting into cryptocurrency. And you'll have heard of NFTs, you know, these little pictures and JPEGs. But it's a very interesting area. And a lot of the big luxury brands have done tie-ups with NFTs, which are part of the cryptocurrency universe. So I think you will see over the next few years, a lot more just, you know, in the shopping malls of Dubai, you'll see a lot more crypto references. You'll just see the names of things and NFTs and cryptos, and you'll see little QR codes popping up more and more everywhere. And I think that will be the gateway. That will be the way in for the Middle Eastern brands, if you see what I mean. Once the Western brands are established doing that kind of thing in the shopping malls of Dubai, then I think a lot of the Middle Eastern brands that haven't been engaged so far will start feeling more confident about getting involved. What when? Are we talking matter of months, years? Again, it depends on the price, doesn't it? You know, we've had a massive rash of big crypto platforms advertising on the Super Bowl in America, you know, and the, the big ad break that cost millions of dollars and all the rest of it. You had Coinbase, Crypto.com, the arena, the Staples Center in LA has been renamed the Crypto.com arena. You know, we've just had all <laughs> of that kind of thing happening because all the big crypto exchanges are absolutely flush with cash from all the trading that went on last year. But it has quietened down since then. The trading is quietening down, which means the money is no longer flowing in the system in the way that it did before. So, okay, we're still seeing some crypto adverts and so on, but if unless the price recovers soon, I think we're going to see things dying down for a bit. Bitcoin has always been a highly volatile asset. It actually gets less volatile as the years go on, on average, but nonetheless, it's still highly volatile and should never be considered a safe investment. Some people call it digital gold, but even gold itself has fallen considerably in the past few months in value. There's no such thing really as a safe asset apart from cash, as long as inflation isn't eating it away. This is my favourite part of the show where we bring out the crystal ball. Are you ready, Glenn? Tell us what to invest in, all right? Because there's a ton of these cryptocurrencies out there. Right. Well, first of all, I'm not a licensed financial advisor, so I can't tell you what to invest in. Okay, we've got, but we've I can got give the my legal... Uh, yeah, give us your opinion then. I'll tell you. All right, I'll tell you what I'm doing. There you go. That's a, that's as good an indication all as right, anything. That, uh, yeah, we've got the legal disclaimers out the way. Yeah, go for it. I'm quite <laughs> lightly invested in crypto compared to what I was, say, a year ago. Put it that way. I bought in when I saw the market taking off in mid 2020. That was the time to invest in Bitcoin. Why is it too late now? The crypto market tends to move in four-year cycles. First of all, you get a big boom, and then the price declines from the peak and sits around for a bit, doing not very much, and then it climbs to a brand new peak. And this happens about every four years. It's held so far, but of course, Bitcoin and crypto are relatively new assets. There's no guarantee that they will continue to rise even higher every time they peak. Well, is it going to go up some more? It's 
what we've seen, if you look at a chart, right, of Bitcoin, all I can tell you is the market has been going sideways for an entire year now. We had the good bit, right? And I was awake for the good bit. Not many other people were at the time. They were all in their crypto sleep, their crypto winter. But in August 2020, things took off. The price went crazy. But prices never just continue going crazy forever. You know what it's like. They have a boom and then they kind of settle down for a bit. A correction. Exactly. So we're currently in a year-long correction and there are absolutely no signs of it ending. I like to get in when things are starting to look good. In August 2020, the price had been meandering along for a couple of years and then it started rocketing, started taking off almost overnight. And so I was like, this is it. And it was it. But here we are in 2022, the price is just directionless. It's been going up and down in a kind of zigzaggy way for more than a year now and it shows no signs of changing that. Once it does show signs of changing that and a new trend gets underway upwards, then I will be in. But until then, as I say, I'm quite lightly invested, just waiting it out. Sounds like you're cautious. I'm a patient guy, you know, you've got to be patient in this game. You've got to wait for the right moments to strike like a sniper. Uh, That's a good (laughs) analogy. Some cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin, could certainly be used as money in the future, in the Middle East and in other parts of the world. But there is a big but. It depends heavily on whether governments allow that to happen. Most major governments are not very keen on the idea of having another currency in competition with their own. Been absolutely fabulous chatting with you, Glenn. I'm sure our listeners will appreciate this. Thanks so much. No problem at all. I hope you got a lot out of it. We did. A big thanks to our listeners, too, for joining us. Let me give some credits to the people behind the scenes, our producers, Hayat Mongodin and Khaled Sultan, and George Elwir, of course, he takes care of sound design. A shout-out to our lead engagement producer, Ayel Malik, and assistant engagement producer, Munira Dosari. We can't forget the big boss, of course, our executive producer, Omar Saleh. I'm your host, Sami Zaydan. We'll chat again next week. 